0: Afternoon of October 6th, American President Donald Trump and Turkey's President Erdogan discussed the more than eight-year civil war in Syria. Shortly afterwards, the White House released a five-line statement. Turkey will soon be moving forward with its long-planned operation in northern Syria. The United States Armed Forces will not support or be involved in the operation, and the United States forces, having defeated the ISIS territorial caliphate, will no longer be in the immediate areas. What the White House press secretary didn't say is that one weekend phone call had upended nearly five years of US policy in Syria. This is Beyond the Headlines, I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're asking why did Donald Trump stand aside for a Turkish invasion of Syria, and why does Ankara want a new war? The Syrian war is chaos. Over the last eight years, groups have risen and fallen, alliances have switched and at this point keeping track of which international actor backs which local group seems almost impossible. But what we'll do today is to look first of all at why Turkey is trying to invade the region of northeastern Syria, why the US has troops there and why this issue has caused such concern. In the US, politicians, Republicans and Democrats have denounced Trump's move. Security officials have warned that a Turkish offensive could unravel five years of fighting against ISIS. In Europe, countries have called for Turkey not to follow through, and Russia has spoken to Turkey and others in a bid to mediate. But on October 9th, Erdogan said the offensive had begun. So, why? Well, there's two reasons. One, Turkey wants to create a safe zone along its borders to stop terrorists threatening its people. The second is to resettle some of the more than 3 million Syrian refugees who are living in Turkey. So who are these, quote, terrorists? Well, the area is under the control of Syria's Kurds, or rather several political and military groupings of Syria's Kurds. Bear with us because there's a lot of acronyms, Each group goes by a different shorthand. Turkey's main issue lies with the People's Protection Units, referred to as the YPG. They see them as an offshoot of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or the PKK. The PKK has been fighting an insurgency against Ankara for decades, and are classed as a terrorist organization by Turkey as well as others. The likes of Europe say they've been engaged in terrorist acts, but stop short of the full designation. There is some truth in this. The PKK operates across eastern Turkey, in the mountains of bordering Iraq, and to an extent in northern Syria. Many YPG fighters and commanders have been or are PKK members. So Ankara wants to create a safe zone to prevent the YPG from working with the PKK and staging any attacks in Turkey. But why now? Well, they haven't just decided this. Erdogan has been planning and warning about this for months and they've already invaded northwestern Syria to push the Kurds out. The second point is to resettle refugees. Turkish officials are warning about rising communal tensions between Turks and Syrians, and that this has been exacerbated by worsening economic situation. The solution, they say, is to provide somewhere for the refugees to return to that may not be their homes, but is inside Syria. But why are the US there? And why does this issue matter so much? Here's Michael Weiss, a columnist for the Daily Beast and co author of ISIS Inside the Army of Terror. Apologies for the sound quality, we caught him in a cafe in Amsterdam airport on his way back to the US.
1: US policy as of 2014 was as follows um, We have a national security crisis, a terrorist group which had been dismissed. By President Obama ended up being a way more formidable threat than anything else we'd seen uh, since the start of the war on terror in 2001. Uh, It was exporting jihad beyond the borders of Syria and Iraq. Uh, It was using uh, Turkey, indeed, as a a staging platform or operations base. Uh, And as we saw with the Paris attacks, the Belgian attacks, uh, and various other uh, ISIS-inspired or directed terrorist atrocities throughout Europe and North America... This was something that that, that could not simply be uh, managed on a policing or or domestic counterterrorism level. Uh, ISIS had to be destroyed in its chaos. And the U.S. sort of went in, a point in which American credibility in Syria in particular, and also Iraq, was completely shot. This was a year after the 2013 chemical weapons attack in Ghouta and obama not enforcing his now notorious red line, but rather choosing to do a deal with Russia. You know, unfortunately, the U.S. decided, well, okay, our only priority in Syria as of 2014 is to fight this this terrorist menace called ISIS. Uh, there, was, there was no reckoning. There was no taking of inventory of past mistakes in an attempt to try and combine a geopolitical calculus with a counterterrorism one. Um, I liken U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East to... Uh, sort of an idiot savant. Um, And so the idea that we are going to back uh, essentially the PKK, uh, which is the Kurdistan Workers' Party, as it's known in Turkey, and its Syrian affiliate, uh, which was the Democratic Union, um, uh, and and now the YPG. um, The idea that we were going to use as our chief uh, battering ram against ISIS, a Kurdish Marxist guerrilla organization which has been designated by the United States and Turkey as a terrorist organization because of a 40-year war of attrition slash insurgency that's been waged by it against the Turkish state, and that this was not going to lead eventually to a major confrontation between the United States and and Turkey um, is insane.
0: So to get that straight, when ISIS began to take over areas of Syria in 2012 and 2013, then US President Barack Obama dismissed them as a local issue not nearly on the same scale as al-Qaeda and unworthy of American attention. That changed in 2014 when the terror group crossed the Iraqi border and captured swathes of the country, while at the same time controlling huge areas across northeastern and western Syria. At its peak, the self-styled caliphate was larger than the United Kingdom. In Iraq, the international coalition backed the Iraqi military in the fight against ISIS. In Syria, the international community picked the Kurds in the country's northwest. But that decision came with a problem. Here's Karim Shaheen, a journalist who's covered the Syrian war since the early days and regularly writes for The National.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, the, the U.S. role has sort of been the, um, uh, you know, somewhat frustrating because the, uh, uh, it, it was based on counterterrorism, just the way that U.S. interventions in the region are narrowly focused on uh, counterterrorism. Uh, so the U.S. Uh, allied itself with the um, uh, with the Kurdish militias in the area. Uh, they were known as the YPG or the People's Protection Units um, as uh, as a force that was keen to fight against ISIS. The option existed before that to ally with various Syrian rebel groups, uh, but the problem was that. Uh, those groups wanted to fight Bashar al-Assad, um, who, you know, was was obviously destroying their homes and, and displacing their communities. And so they w- wanted to fight against the regime primarily, and then uh, believed that they could fight afterwards against ISIS, or that the ISIS problem would eventually be taken care of once they lost, um, you know, the motivation um, of, uh, of fighting against the regime. And so the, the U.S. eventually allied itself with Uh, with the Kurdish militias. Um, The YPG then became part of a broader um, Syrian Democratic Forces, or SDF, uh, sort of an umbrella group that included also Arab um, tribes and Arab fighters. Uh, The the main purpose was obviously because the YPG was an offshoot of a Kurdish uh, guerrilla group that Turkey considers to be a terrorist group. Um, It's a group that's fought for decades against the Turkish state and is a separatist movement called the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or the PKK, and the, the Syrian Kurdish militias were an offshoot of that uh, Kurdish militia. So, naturally, this kind of presented a um, an unsolvable problem uh, for U.S.-Turkish relations. Turkey is the second largest army in NATO, uh, after the U.S., obviously, and, um, and considered the, the Kurdish militias to be a, a vital strategic threat. Um, and they would simply not tolerate their presence on uh, the Turkish border with Syria. Um, the Kurds, meanwhile, uh, were able to expand the, the territory under their control um, as they became kind of the ground force uh, backed by the U.S. Air Force um, that, that fought to reclaim uh, parts of Syria that were under ISIS control
1: from the terror group.
0: Here's Michael again.
1: Well, U.S. forces on the ground came about simply because you know, you, you can't wage an intervention in a Middle Eastern country, simply with air power. I mean, um, um, you need special forces. You need people who are uh, embedded with your proxy army uh, in in a you know liaison capacity to either train them or to help with communications or to be, you know even call in airstrikes, coordinate with your your air power. The United States has carved out a sort of de facto protectorate east of the Euphrates River, um, which is. You know, it's got its problems. It's not all that secure. There's a lot of instability, and ISIS is mounting a resurgence. But let's put it this way: Um, it's a it's a safer place to be than the rest of Syria, Um, uh, and which includes, by the way, regime-held territory. So you know, the U.S. has some leverage, some currency to play with here. Uh, The question is, what is the long-term game? Is the U.S. going to keep this garrison indefinitely? And the original remember this is the important thing: Trump signed off on two years ago, a strategy. The strategy was as follows. The U.S. stays in Syria indefinitely to essentially um, achieve four goals. Number one, ensure that ISIS cannot come back as a caliphate and that the insurgency to which it is reverted stays contained and managed. Number two, that uh, the Assad regime remains out of this uh, east of Euphrates, American zone. Uh, in other words, that it cannot reap the spoils of an American-led intervention The reason that Assad would want this territory back, apart from wanting all of Syria back just for its own sake, is that this is where the hydrocarbons of Syria are. And however crude or uh, unimpressive as they they might be, as compared with, say, Iraq, it's still an energy supply and a source of revenue for the regime. Um, Number three, Iran is deprived of its so-called land bridge, or its direct line of communication, which it's been trying to establish now uh, from Tehran to the Mediterranean. Um, Number four, Russia is also deprived of access to this part of Syria. Russia is trying to um, compensate for the money spent in the intervention by uh, inking all manner of um, corrupt and um, backward reconstruction deal.
0: So America had an issue. How do you arm, train and fight alongside a force that a close NATO ally, Turkey, deems a terror group? The answer was to reform them as the Syrian Democratic Forces. While the YPG makes up a large number of the SDF's fighters, the force also includes Arab and local tribal fighting groups. Washington reassured Turkey that it would keep them in line, but Ankara was never happy about the arrangement. For the Kurdish groups, they got arms, support and legitimacy in their fight not just against ISIS, but to build a future state. Or at least a strong position to negotiate a peace deal with Damascus at the end of the Syrian war. The SDF has now taken all remaining ISIS territory and ended the so-called caliphate, and Turkey is more concerned than ever that their attention is now turning to the nationalistic project. The only thing that has so far delayed the Turkish offensive is America's few hundred soldiers embedded in and around northeastern Syria. So the phone call on that Sunday afternoon, in which President Trump said his forces were standing aside, has been seen by Kurds as a betrayal but it also clearly upends America's Syria policy. But couldn't the US have seen this coming?
1: What we are seeing now is not solely a reflection of Donald Trump and his petulant um, incompetence as commander-in-chief. It is also something that has been long in the making. The seeds of this contradiction in the US counterterrorism policy were planted a long time ago. And it was inevitable that Turkey was going to say, we will not allow the PKK, even under the, the pretext of, of you know, being this great American champion of, of, of you know counter-terrorism. We are not going to allow them to create a statelet on our southern doorstep. Full stop. This goes across the Turkish political and security establishment. This is not just Tayyip Erdogan being a, a megalomaniacal Islamist dictator. This is a, something that the Turkish state is, there's a consensus about it. Um, America has tried, it has recognized this national security threat, Um, The U.S. has spent years, the State Department, the Pentagon, the NSC, trying to find a kind of modus vivendi with Turkey to forestall this very contingency. The policy as such was to continue to work it out, to, 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 to delay this onslaught or this incursion. Trump gets on a phone call with Erdogan. The White House announces very hastily and in almost subliterate English, that the U.S. is withdrawing from the border uh, and we want nothing to do with this. The Turks can do what they want and, oh, by the way, um, everybody else has to deal with ISIS detainees because we're, we're sick of paying for this. Classic Donald Trump, you know, America's being ripped off. Everybody else should step up. This is, the real issue is not the Middle East, uh, although that's an issue. The real issue is the U.S. government almost doesn't exist anymore. There is no sense of, there's no strategy, there is no timeline. There is no uh, coherent set of instructions which can, relied, which can be relied upon to be implemented and executed and defended by the commander-in-chief who indeed has signed off on them. It's chaos in Washington. So naturally, it's going to be misery and bloodshed in, in Hassan, in, and uh, northeast Syria.
0: And what about ISIS in all of this? Tens of thousands of supporters and former fighters are under SDF guard in camps and prisons across this area of Syria there's also still an insurgency that regularly stages attacks.
1: So the the first problem or consideration is, right, uh, the SDF guys, or the PKK guys in the SDF, I should say, who are guarding uh, military bases in Raqqa and Gerizor, who are guarding, um, you know, um, installations, they're just going to abandon their post and run up north to defend their comrades the oncoming Turkish invasion. So that's, uh, you, you are essentially punching holes in a much-needed security blanket that has been draped over this American protectorate to ensure that ISIS cannot come back, and that um, ISIS detainees, uh, which aren't really held in the area that Turkey is looking to invade, by the way, but they are held in the in the area where the SDF is now leaving its post to go fight the Turks, that, that you know, this isn't going to be a complete dog's breakfast. Um, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi put out a Communiqué not too long ago, in which he said um, there was a campaign before ISIS took over in 2014 called Breaking the Walls. Breaking the Walls was a campaign whereby um, ISIS or its predecessor, ISI, would uh, bust into prisons and free their confederates. So they could very well do that again in Syria.
0: Here's Karim again, talking about why ISIS is such a worry right now.
1: Um, primarily because the
2: Kurds are going to be defeated, right? Um, I mean, the uh, the Kurds are unlikely to be able to face off against, uh, you know, a Turkish military backed by its air force and um, uh, you know and the Arab fighters and proxy forces that are fighting alongside Turkey on the ground. Uh, what will likely happen is that the Kurds will withdraw from a lot of the uh, the areas that they uh, control right now, uh, some of which form sort of buffer zones around major cities that have been reclaimed from ISIS. Um, This will make it easier for ISIS to kind of patrol or or enjoy more freedom of movement than they have, uh, you know, over the past few months, uh, since they lost uh, some of the key territories under their control in both Syria and Iraq. Um, And uh, there will also be the other issue, which is the fact that the Kurds oversee um, ISIS um, uh, prisons and ISIS uh, camps. Uh, that include a lot of, um, you know, sort of former members of the Caliphate, whether fighters or, um, or their wives or their children, um, and uh, and this presents a major logistical problem. The Kurds have been trying to find solutions with European countries to perhaps send back some of these individuals to face trial in in Europe or elsewhere, um, and and this is going to present another logistical headache because nobody knows who's going to be in charge of these um, of these prisoners uh, going forward. Um, the other thing is that obviously Turkey doesn't have a uh, you know the best track record in terms of confronting ISIS uh, in the region. I mean the the when they invaded parts of northern Syria in the past, it was pretty clear that the key aim was to you know oust um, Kurdish militias from areas near the border. Um, they also undertook campaigns against ISIS, but these seem to be sort of secondary objectives to their incursion into Syria. Um, from the Turks' perspective, this is you know wholly justified because. The Kurdish militias are a terrorist group uh, that has carried out major attacks in Turkey in the past and and spearheaded a separatist movement. Uh, But the reality is that um, the the Turks are going to be focused on uh, kind of pushing back uh, the YPG uh, or the Kurdish militias. Um, and uh, and sort of maintaining the security, these security belts, and and uh, you know, and ensuring that ISIS doesn't experience a resurgence, uh, is going to be a secondary uh, objective at best. And uh, and we're already seeing uh, you know ISIS attacks against some of those rural communities from their desert hideouts, um, and uh, and obviously uh, maintaining them, uh, you know, keeping keeping them away from a from major resurgence is a major objective of U.S. policy in the region. And um, and so. Uh, letting the Kurds uh, battle it off against Turkey in a, in a, in a losing battle uh, won't help that cause.
0: There's also concern that this new dimension to the war could lead to shifting power balances between the international parties engaged in the conflict. This is Michael again.
1: The long-term concern, of course, is that uh, Russia, Iran and the Assad regime will take advantage of this chaos. And already, you're, you know, you're seeing them do that at the informational level. So the regime is saying, hey, PKK, come back and work with us and we'll help you fight Turkey. PKK is saying we might align with the regime to fight Turkey. Um, Russia, of course, will work with anybody who is doing something to undermine the American interest and influence in Syria. And, you know, Iran wants its land bridge. So, you know, if, if it comes to making a deal with the PKK to say, we'll give you arms or we'll, we'll suddenly help you in some way in your campaign with Turkey, you must provide us um, that corridor or you must carve out a space in your territory to allow us to. So there are all, ways, there are all kinds of machinations going on here besides this impending possible-slash-likely war between Turkey and the PKK. Um, and again, America is is the absentee landlord.
0: In short, both Michael and Kareem say that this ending was almost inevitable at some point. Although everyone had hoped that they could head off the bloodshed,
2: I think it was always destined to come to a head. Um, there was simply no, uh, no actual solution to the crisis because um, you know you either, as, as the US, you either had to sell out the interests of one of two parties, right? Either Turkey, which is the second-largest army in NATO and is an extremely crucial strategic partner uh, in the region, or you would sell out the Kurdish militias. Uh, who were expected eventually, um, you know, as the crisis in Syria kind of winds down, uh, to reconcile with the Assad regime.
0: Thanks this week to Kareem Shaheen in Canada and to Michael Weiss in Amsterdam International Airport. This was Beyond the Headlines. If you want to hear all the latest episodes, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We were produced this week by Shikan and Arthur Edison with assistance from Affinity. I'm your host, James Haynes-Young.